When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are in the mood for fantasy football. We are Pro Football Network. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN Fantasy Football Director. With me, as always, is PFN Fantasy Analyst Tommy Garrett, otherwise known as Tommy. And joining us today, PFN Fantasy Analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. Uh, we're jumping into waiver wires because that's top of mind for us. And if it's top of mind for us, based on what we're hearing from you on social media and elsewhere, it seems to be top of mind for you. We're going to start with quarterbacks and move through the four main positions. And we're going to try to hit on players who, uh, who are pressure points right now. Do we pick these guys up? We're not going to say, do you pick up Kirk Cousins? Because by now in most leagues, everyone should know about Kirk Cousins. Everyone should know how to spell his name and do a search. We're talking about guys who are a little bit off the beaten path, but still big questions about whether to target them in waivers. Tommy, starting with you, a player you've talked about on this show many times, uh, and and that is Taysom Hill. Uh, His status this week as of Tuesday afternoon, and would you use your fab to pick him up if you don't have a top 14 QB? You know, it's interesting. Like We talk about him a lot, but he's one of those guys that's, brings a lot of contention in the fantasy community because is he a quarterback? Is he just a glorified running back, a tight end? Does he know where Sean Payton's bodies are being stored at? Like there's something, there's always an angle with Taysom Hill. It's look last year, he played well in his five starts. He was a QB one in four of his five games and averaged 23.1 fancy points. The difference is look, he was throwing to like you talked about, I think you actually tweeted about this earlier. Like he was throwing to um, Michael Thomas. He was throwing to um, Emmanuel Sanders. Those guys were over 60% of his totals. And not just that, but like the, the worry this week is, you know, is he going to be hampered in the, on the ground? Granted, he is going to be projected starter, but he's been dealing with a plantar fascia issue. And last season, like almost over 50% of his points came on the ground. So we need that rushing upside. It's kind of like we talked about with Cam Newton. If the arm is lacking, the rushing ability kind of carrying him forward. Same thing with Jalen Hurts right now. If he doesn't have that, I'm kind of worried. He's going to come in somewhere in that mid QB2 kind of like QB14 to QB16 kind of range, kind of like almost like a Taylor Heineke kind of area, um, just because we know what he can do. But I don't think he's a must claim in one QB leagues. I like him better next week against the New York Jets. So he is someone, if you want to pick up and do a, a preemptive move, potentially for next week, if you have a guy who might be out or you don't like the matchup, I can make sense of that move. But this week kind of worries me against the Dallas Cowboys. You have someone like Micah Parsons who can chase down a mobile quarterback. They're allowing only like 12 yards on the ground to opposing quarterbacks. Only two quarterbacks have gone over 30 yards, and that was uh, Jalen Hurts and Sam Darnold. So if, if Taysom Hill can't get moving on the ground, kind of can't boost up that floor that we love to see in fantasy, I'm a little worried. Like I said, I could see it if you're in a, in a two QB league. Absolutely, go get him. You know what you got moving forward. But in a one QB league, I'm a little hesitant to make him my weekly starter. Very good, thanks, Tommy. And you mentioned Taylor Heineke and Cats. We're throwing that to you. Uh, he he looked okay uh, Monday night against Seattle. Not as good as I thought he would play. To be quite honest, I thought he'd get another score. He almost did. Uh, but uh, the fact is, he's in that kind of fringe mode, right? He's you know top 14, top 18. He's better than people expected, but 
but I think I, I wanted a little more, especially as his guys are getting healthy. Do you trust him moving forward as a top 14 option? Should people claim him off waivers if they don't have, let's say, a locked-in top 10 quarterback? I don't think Taylor Heineke is the worst streamer out there. He has a decent floor. He scored at least 10 fantasy points in every game this season. Uh, but the ceiling games haven't really been there. He did post nearly 28 fantasy points against Atlanta back in week four. He's got, I believe, four games, five games over 20 fantasy points. But about half the time, you're getting a, a, Q, a low QB2 performance. Last week, we saw that he was barely a QB2 against Seattle, 12.2 fantasy points. I think against the Raiders, uh, it's it's not the it's not the worst matchup. I think they allow the 13th most fantasy points to quarterbacks. That's really middle of the road. It really comes down to whether he's throwing the touchdowns. And given how much they use Antonio Gibson on Monday night, I think that they're going to try and just pound the football, keep it on the ground. Uh, and you can you can do better than Heineke. I would not prioritize him, but he's 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 like a desperation QB two. You can do worse, but I'd rather I'd rather not have Heineke if I could avoid it. Do you feel better about him knowing that Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel are likely back? Because Sam at least came out of the game not injured any further. So at least that was a positive. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a a big positive. Logan Thomas was supposed to be mostly limited, but he played 79% of the snaps on Monday night, and he looked like himself. Uh, That's that's a big addition for them. Logan Thomas is, I think he's a top five tight end the rest of the way. And Curtis Samuel, I I really want to see what happens with him going forward. If he can stay healthy, you have to think he gets more involved. He only played 24% of the snaps, uh, so it was really, really uh, an easing game for him. But if he can get going and if he can work that up to 50 60% and be that wide receiver too opposite Terry McLaurin, Heineke has some upside down the road, but I don't know if it'll happen just this week. And I only disagree with you maybe once a year, Katz, uh, and this is that time, so enjoy it. Uh, I, I'm going to say uh, Heineke is one of my favorite QB ads this week. Uh, I love one of the things that jumped out at me in, in Monday night's game was Antonio Gibson, seven catches, uh, a, a quarterback's best friend. There are a lot of quarterback best friends. Let's face it. One of the best friends of a quarterback is a pass catching back. Uh, he's got two. If J.D. McKissick is OK, he had a, a, a head injury. But Antonio Gibson, the first time he's caught more than three balls, I, I think since week one. Uh, and so if that becomes the norm, if Gibson is now the Gibson of last year, I think Heineke's ceiling jumps up i think his floor jumps up and i think he's one of those sneaky guys that comes in and he finishes top 12 the rest of the way um cats i'm going to give you the last word but on a different player trey lance what do you think is jimmy garoppolo i picked him up i started him big mistake is are we going to see trey lance if the 49ers season you know descends into uh we can't get to the postseason mode in the fantasy playoffs i mean maybe but we are we haven't seen any signs of that over the past three weeks 49ers have won all three of those games. They've won four of their last five. I don't really see Jimmy Garoppolo losing this job unless they're definitely out of it. And based on their record, we're at least three, four weeks away from that being a possibility. And that's if they lose. I think Trey Lance starts in 2022, but I don't think he starts this season. And Trey Wingo from Pro Football Network has said over and over, he says it on his Twitter page, that uh, wins is not a quarterback stat. Something that I'm botching the, the, uh, the quote. But basically, is there a chance, Cats? Is there a chance that the 49ers could be doing better and that they're they're doing well in spite of Garoppolo, not because of him? Or is that unfair to say? It's, it's not unfair at all. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has kind of been established as this like middle of the road. He, he's, he's one of those starters where I don't know if you could win a Super Bowl with him, 
but he's he's better than who you're going to get otherwise. It's kind of the same boat that the Bengals were trapped in for so many years with Andy Dalton. It's like, okay, Andy Dalton will get you to the playoffs, but that's about it. Uh, obviously, Garoppolo did make a Super Bowl, so I guess his ceiling has to be higher because we've seen him do it. Uh, but could they be better with Trey Lance? I think Trey Lance has a higher ceiling for sure. Does he have that ceiling or the ability to reach that ceiling as a rookie? Probably not at this point. I think that their best shot to win right now is Jimmy Garoppolo. Next year, it won't be. Uh, but for now, they're going to stick with him. I don't really see him losing his job. Very good. Tommy, uh, Jalen Hurts, ankle injury. Jalen Hurts has been, uh, it's been a tale of, of two Hurtses, if I can say that. If that Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll trademark that line. Uh, the, on, on the ground, uh, there are a few better. Uh, in the air, um, I would say there are a few more uh, deficient uh, in terms of what he's providing that offense. He hasn't thrown for over 200 yards since uh, before Halloween. Uh, and he's only, uh, uh, I think he has like five or six passing touchdowns since October 3rd. So this is this is uh, uh, an interesting case where if he has to sit and Gardner Minshew mm-hmm. starts, are you more excited for Philly's receivers? And are you excited about picking up Minshew as a pretty cool streamer? I like Gardner Minshew. I'm a fan of him. I like when he wears the, you know, the denim jacket. He's got the big belt buckle and all this stuff. Like, he's just a fun guy to root for. And he played well in his rookie year last season. You know, he kind of had a down year, but because he was trying to hide a thumb injury, which kind of ended up stabbing himself almost in the back and hurt his own progression. I don't know if he's going to make the Philadelphia Eagles any better. Um, it's hard for me because Jalen Hurts' dynamism, like on the ground, like what he can bring in the rushing element, makes defense have to play a little more honest, kind of keeps them up close. You bring other guys in there, like I would love to see um, Gardner Minshew play well. But there's so many other options. I couldn't sit here and find myself wanting to start him in a one QB league. In the Superflex league, maybe. But as we've said before, like just because you can play two quarterbacks doesn't mean you have to. You might find someone has a higher upside than Gardner Minshew if he is the starter quarterback this week. Like I said, I would love to see Gardner Minshew play well. I think he deserves a legitimate shot. He's not going to get one right now behind Jalen Hurts playing as well as he is. Like, granted, like they're not playing great. But it's hard to argue with what he could do on the ground, at least for a fantasy purpose. But yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of upside in Gardner Minshew as much as I would enjoy watching him play. And we're going to get back to In the Mood for Fantasy Football Podcast coming up here in just a moment. But ladies and gentlemen, let's tell you about the sponsor of today's episode of In the Mood for Fantasy Football. And that is our good friends over there at X Chair. And ladies and gentlemen, if you need an office chair that is super supportive of positive posture, something that's going to be super comfortable when you sit in it, not to mention, what if I told you they throw in a massage? and a heating element to it that helps you stay loose while you're sitting down in the comfort of your own home or in the office. X-Chair provides all that action for you. And as somebody who has had a lot of issues with sciatica and lower back pain over time, this has been something that has completely alleviated some of the pain that I've had. X-Chair is game-changing and it is the ultimate office chair that you need in order to feel comfortable sitting at home or at work. And you can go to xchairpfn.com now. That's letter X chair pfn.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. X-CHAIR, pfn.com. Very good. Good distinction. Uh, moving on to running backs. We're going to move a little more rapid fire here uh, just to get Kat's take on two of them. We're not going to talk about Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, A.J. Dillon, Shuba Hubbard. These are these are all players that I think any self-respecting fantasy manager realizes should be rostered. I was shocked to see, for example, on ESPN that David Johnson uh, today, Tuesday, is rostered in more leagues than Alexander Madison. 
uh, please people, uh, appreciate people's ceilings, uh, do not appreciate the floors. When we walk into a room uh, in somebody's house, we don't look down at the floor and say, what a nice floor you have. We look up at the ceiling and it looks elegant, it looks grand, and that's what jumps out at us. So focus on ceiling, folks. And now, Cats, I'm going to ask you about two guys who may or may not have good ceilings, Matt Breida and Devontae Booker. First of all, is Matt Breida someone who should be rostered at this point in every league? Should he be rostered? Yes. How do I feel about him? I'm a bit torn. The pros, Matt Breida has vanquished Zach Moss, rightfully so, rendering Moss inactive last week. The cons, Breida played just 32% of the snaps, the same percentage he played the week before, even when Moss was active. Pros, Breida's opportunities have increased each of his past three games, 6 to 7 to 11. Cons, his perceived fantasy value has been inflated by touchdowns in two of his last three games. This past Thursday, he caught a 23-yard touchdown on his final touch. Right. If not for that, he would have finished with 4.2 fantasy points, and I don't know if we'd even be talking about him. Uh, so do you need to roster him on the chance that he gets an increased workload? Yes. Should you start him? Um, not yet. And I was playing against him uh, in my uh, in my league last week, and I was staring at four points against me on that until that last play. And I, I thought, okay, you know, I, it was one of those, oh, come on, which I know a lot of you listening have had those moments of, oh, come on, uh, which is, uh, I say that, uh, throughout the week, whenever I watch football, uh, Devonte Booker, uh, any concerns about Saquon Barkley down the stretch? Do you think that we could see some Devonte Booker getting big starts that would warrant him being a must roster in leagues for fantasy playoffs? Well, at this point in the season, I think all relevant handcuffs should be rostered. We know we discussed handcuffs before the season and the problem with drafting them, or at least your own is because we're not exactly the best at predicting who the handcuffs will be. And if they'll even be valuable when the starter go, if and when the starter goes down. By week 13, we know the handcuffs are on most teams, and we know whether they have value. We have seen proof of concept with Devontae Booker. And the fact is, it's been better than Saquon Barkley. I can tell you this. If I was a fantasy manager with both Barkley and Booker on my team, I would rather have Booker right now than an active Barkley. I don't think Barkley's fully healthy. Obviously, it goes without saying Barkley is a more talented running back than than Booker. But just look at the numbers. In Booker's five games filling in for Barkley, he averaged 15.8 PPR points per game. Booker scored double-digit fantasy points in every one of those games. Even if we remove Barkley's 0.9 fantasy points in the game in which he sprained his ankle, he's averaged 14.1 points per game, and that number isn't really indicative of his performance. Barkley has two games with 21.4 and 29.6, which, of course, showcases his ceiling, which is higher than Booker's. But three of his other four games were in the single digits, averaging just 8.6 fantasy points per game. So Booker does need to be on rosters. And if you're a fantasy manager, I think you should hope that they shut down Barkley and you have Booker the rest of the way. Yeah, if I had Barkley and I were like eight and four at this point, um, I would overpay for Booker. Uh, just uh, so all of you listening out there, that's my two cents on it, building on what Katz is saying. Uh, assuming that, your trade deadline hasn't passed, obviously. Assuming your trade. Thank you. Uh, very good point, Tommy. Uh, if you're in... Uh, uh, depending on your time zone, when you're listening to this, it might have passed. But uh, no, I'm kidding. It's a, it's the same no matter what. Whatever league you're in, it is what it is. But in ESPN, I think it's December 1st. So you might still have a day by the time you're listening to this. It it pays to listen to this podcast when it hits, because if you wait a couple of days, you miss out on trade deadlines. That's a lesson, uh, uh, everybody, on this one. Now, uh, Tommy, what do you think about Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift right now? Questionable, more or less. Uh, for Sunday, is Jamal Williams a must roster or is the offense uh, too unfortunate, to put it nicely, uh, to trust someone like Williams as a top 30 running back? 
Yeah, as of right now, it does not seem like DeAndre Swift will play. Uh, Dan Campbell, Lions head coach, said money that it's hard to see Swift playing uh, against the Vikings as it deals with a shoulder injury. So it seems like right now we're moving forward with Jamal Williams being the starter, with Jamar Jefferson probably uh, on the back end. It's um, from Jamal Williams. Like he was a guy coming into the season, I thought he had two hundred touch upside, uh, given the way that they were likely going to focus on the running game and probably rotate these back in and out. Since Dan Campbell has taken over as the play caller, we've seen a heavy emphasis on the ground. That's why DeAndre Swift is having this incredible uh, last couple games he's had on, and I expect that to probably translate over to Jamal Williams. He's probably not going to be a – he's not an RB1. He's probably going to be in that lower-end RB2 kind of range, given the volume he's likely to see against Minnesota, who's also dealing with their own uh, running back issues. Um, so I could see – if he's out there, I would absolutely pick him up right now. You might get him for a couple weeks. You might only get him for this week, but I think you would have at least a flex play if you needed one out of Jamal Williams. Very good. And I, I did an article today. It should be out today on Pro Football Network on Jamal Williams, uh, whether to add him. And it, it presents both cases. Uh, it's basically mm-hmm. two different sections on the pros and cons. And the pros definitely outweigh the cons. I'm with you. And we, Tommy, yesterday we talked a little about uh, Kennedy Nwangu uh, with uh, Dalvin Cook uh, uh, looking sidelined. Uh, uh, likely we've heard different things come out, uh, but the latest is that uh, it's looking more likely uh, Alexander Madison would start. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he would inherit all the touches. So I guess the question is, if for for managers who are not getting much, let's say someone like me, I'm starting Ty Johnson unless I upgrade my number two running back slot uh, because of just uh, bad management on my part, not uh, stocking up on enough running backs. Um, uh, would I want to pick him up, Nwangu, and and hope to get a cheap score in a plus matchup against Detroit where we could see him getting some touches in the fourth quarter if he is, in fact, the handcuff. Yeah, we love Kanae Wongu over here. It's We know how talented he could be, and like we talked about on the Twitter spaces we talked about yesterday, if it wasn't for playing behind Brees Hall at Iowa State, he would probably be a more well-known name. They took him fourth in the fourth round for a reason. We've seen him be explosive, already returned to uh, – returns for a touchdown on punt. So we know what he can do if he's given a chance. He's got 4-3 speed that was verified at his pro day. He's a he's a combine warrior. He's one of those kind of guys. But it's it's a very speculative ad and the, uh, the hype that I have for him because we know that with Alexander Madison, he is going to get a majority of these carries. He's going to get a Dalvin Cook-like workload because uh, we've seen him already take these kind of this this role and elevate it and have a fantastic game with it. Finished as the RB six and the RB seven in his two starts so far this year. So I would expect him to still see plenty of like twenty plus touches this game. So there's not much room behind him for Kenne. As much as we would like to think he might be able to fall into the end zone when they get in those critical areas, I don't think they're going to trust that to uh, someone outside of Madison. He's a guy I would add, leave him on your bench for right now, just see what happens. If you have someone like a Ty Johnson, I would probably rather start someone like him or a Tevin Coleman, probably over top of a, a speculative ad who has just as good of a chance of putting up a zero as he does finding the end zone. Very uh, good. Piggybacking on Tommy's point there with uh, with Romangu, I or rather BJ's point about the upside we discussed earlier. I think I might rather have. Uh, Ken Nguangu on my bench as opposed to someone like Ty Johnson if I didn't need to start any of them. Because yeah, if something happens to Madison. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I'm, we're on the same page here. Because Nguangu's upside is higher than that of Ty Johnson or Tevin Coleman or any of those guys in the event of a Madison injury. But unless Madison gets hurt and Cook remains out, there's probably nothing there for Nguangu. Yeah, and like you said, we've we've heard different remarks like it started that he tore his labrum then all of a sudden he didn't tear his labrum so until we get like concrete okay this is what happened Dalvin Cook this is the timeline we've got to take a look at all these running backs that are in the rest of the depth chart 
And I'm in drafts, uh, I'm almost always fading split backfields, like fading Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I'm fading a lot of those split backfields because you tend to be overpaying for someone whose ceiling might be 10 to 12 points. And I always feel like I, I don't want 10 to 12 points. And Tommy, you joked with me about it in the last podcast, like you'll take 10 to 12 points. We all would, right? I'm always going for I'd rather get 20 points or stash. Like that's what I'm looking at when I get these guys. And I'm hoping to build a powerhouse roster out of that. And I feel like to your cats, what you just brought up and Tommy, what you've referenced really speaks to that, that why do I have Ty Johnson? I don't know. He was thrown into a deal and he was my backup when I had Michael Carter. That didn't work out, but that's kind of the key there. When you get in those split backfields, it tends to get messy and you don't always get what you want. Um, well, the problem is there's more and more backfields that are going to a, a split committee. Like we're far right. finding fewer and fewer running backs that are taking on these gigantic workloads, like we were seeing with a uh, Christian McCaffrey, like we were seeing with a Dalvin Cook. At one point, it used to be Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott, but we're seeing more and more times these teams want to go, hey, look, we can keep this guy healthy and bring another talented back and who can spell this and still be and still keep this backfield being a productive situation. So it's it's harder and harder to find these guys or do these just break away locked in RB ones anymore. That's right. And not to make this about uh, uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, but I'm going to uh, uh, just a fascinating stat. We, t- we we joke about, you know, we don't want to remove great performances from a player's uh, resume. Those great performances are deserved. But even looking at someone like Aaron Jones, who's a locked in top six, top seven running back to start the mm-hmm. season. He, he had 41.5 fantasy points in week two. All of the other games, he's averaged 12.2 fantasy points. A.J. Dillon's averaged 10.8 as the backup. So we get into this case, even the seemingly uh, uh, you know, unstoppable bell cows are still suffering from this split back syndrome where their ceiling is capped. And we don't think about Aaron Jones in the same way that we would think about Tevin Coleman for good reason. But we still have to think about, and Tommy, you were spot on, this is a big challenge for fantasy managers that wasn't around 15, 20 years ago yeah. when in your first 20 picks, you could focus on running backs. And if you picked, you know, the 18th best running back, you were still getting 250 carries out of that guy. That doesn't happen anymore. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think back to the splits, like with Carolina Panthers, when you had like, it was, um, what was it? D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo Williams, D'Angelo Williams Stewart. and Jonathan Stewart. You go back to the giants. It was like a mod Bradshaw, Brandon Jacobs. Like you had Triple. these different backfields That's where right. it's like, and Ward, all of a sudden they yeah. start making these switches and you get away from like the Jerome Bettis or even like, look, when Le'Veon Bell was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, like we're not finding those guys anymore because look, all of a sudden you end up with a, you know, a Todd Gurley who's in his late 20s, but doesn't even have a job anymore because of arthritis. Yeah. Um, uh, great segue to Todd Gurley, which we will now segue out of. Um, and uh, Cats, we're going to go to Josh Reynolds, uh, who is reunited with his longtime quarterback, Jared Goff. Uh, is Josh Reynolds uh, a guy you want to target on waivers? Let's say you don't have a top 30 receiver for your flex. You need a flex. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is taken. Do you go with Josh Reynolds? This is a classic shower narrative playing out in real time. Former Ram Josh Reynolds latches on with his former quarterback, Jared Goff, in Detroit and ascends a barren depth chart to become his number one wide receiver. Reynolds has played only two games for the Lions. One of them was with Tim Boyle who was in that Tyler Palco, Ben DiNucci tier of I can't believe these guys actually started an NFL game. The other was a low-scoring Thanksgiving game on a short week where Goff attempted just 25 passes. In that game, though, Reynolds actually had a 20% target share. He's played 90% of the snaps in his two games with the Lions. This is a team constantly dealing with negative game script. Uh, Reynolds has at least some semblance of upside. I do like Reynolds as a wide receiver for a stash. 
Very good. And, you know, we, we haven't seen Amon Ross St. Brown or Cleef Raymond sustain any kind of momentum from nice games they've had. And so Josh Reynolds is either the flavor of the month or he is now the number one. It really seems like it could go either way, uh, depending on one's cynicism. Uh, speaking of cynicism, should we be cynical about Julio Jones, uh, Cats? Some people have dropped him uh, in their league. Many people are regretting drafting him. Uh, is he someone, given the state of Tennessee's offense, who we can trust, not entirely, but somewhat, to contribute to fantasy circles in the fantasy playoffs? It would be foolish of me to dismiss one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Wow. But Julio is nothing more than a hope and a prayer at this point. Titans are on by this week, so there's some hope Julio can return after the week off. He's been on IR with a lingering hamstring strain. He's been dealing with hamstring injuries for a long time. The problem is he's not 25 anymore, and he can't play through these nagging injuries. In his six active games, Julio scored over 7.4 fantasy points just once. Outside of that sixth catch, 128-yard game in week two, his high, his season high in receptions is four, and his season high in yardage is 57. If you have an open roster spot and Julio is available, he's probably worth that last spot on your bench. Uh, but there is no pressing need to add him if he was dropped in your league. I tell yeah, you, the thing I I'll say, like, I think you brought up a good point about having that last roster spot. Like a lot of us are already past bye weeks, and you're trying to like stack in as many players as you possibly can in your lineup that might have some upside. That's a spot where you could use someone like a Julio Jones because you've already moved past needing to have these extra guys to fill in. So just try to get as much talent on your roster as you can. Yeah, exactly. When you get to this point in the fantasy season, your roster construction has to be catered to where your team is. We have two weeks left in the fantasy regular season. If you need those wins, you need to make you do whatever you do. Drop whoever you need to drop. Make sure your starting lineup is the best is the best it could possibly be. Don't worry about the playoffs. You got to get there first. But if you're locked into a playoff spot, if you're feeling good and you have those end of the road bench guys that we talked about before, I always talk about it like the like the Frank Gore type guy that'll get you eight points. You don't need that. Put someone on your bench like Julio, who maybe has a shot to become some former version of, of himself that that was actually really good. There's there's no downside to it. So that, that, that's what you want to use that last spot for, depending on what your situation is. Especially if A.J. Brown misses more time than expected. You know, he's out through the fantasy regular season. I could see a scenario where Julio Jones is the number one where Brown is out and Julio has one of those seven-catch, 80-yard games. It's not far-fetched to think, given the talent of Tennessee's receiving core, that a healthy Julio could still do that. Speaking of Tennessee's receiving core, Tommy, uh, the, this whole episode is full of segues. Not all of them are hidden, but this one will. Uh, Nick Westbrook Akine, uh, are, are you picking him up uh, in, in many leagues or some leagues? Or is this a case where the touchdown you kind of throw out from this past week that really he wasn't utilized the way that we wanted to see coming off his huge week 11, and now he's just kind of fading into the background? Or is he someone that you'd pick up with real hopes that he can contribute? I, given his volume, like I don't have a lot of hope he's going to keep doing it. Like that touchdown absolutely saved him. Though he played like a a uh, highest amount of the targets on the apart. Uh, uh, sorry, he played like, the highest amount of the snaps on the team. He ran the most routes, but I mean he only saw five targets, caught two of them, twenty five yards, got that touchdown. Like we saw the big game going back in week eleven where he had you know one hundred and seven yards on seven receptions. So we know those big games are there, but they're going to be so sporadic. I have no idea when I would even start him. Um, so if you're looking for a bench stats, like you're talking about in that last little spot, say like, you know, Julio Jones struggles to come back that you have AJ Brown, who's on the IR. So like you have this opening for someone to need that needs to ascend to be that number one, you get a couple good games going along the way. Nick Westbrook, Kine could be a guy who could kind of float in that 
low in flex play, but I would kind of need to see something happen first before I'm going to be clamoring to put it in my roster. Very good. And sticking with you, Tommy, uh, the uh, the Julio Jones of Chicago is named Allen Robinson. Many of us have forgotten uh, who he is, uh, what he means. I think he's work. forgotten who he is. That's right. <laughs> Pain. Uh, Pain. Uh, 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 you know, there. Uh, everyone, if, uh, just to all you listening, anyone who you're like, what the heck happened to this guy? If they're still in their prime, make a note to yourself to look them back up next July when you're prepping for your next draft, next year's draft and remind yourself that they once were good. They had an oddly bad year and it doesn't mean that they're going to keep having bad years. I think Allen Robinson fits in that mold. I think if he finds a new environment where he's a true number one or number two uh, with a better quarterback, he can be great, but I don't want to steal your thunder, Tommy this year. Would you pick him up just like with Julio Jones? Is he one of those guys who could still make some magic happen in the fantasy playoffs, or is that just a wasted waiver pick? I'll pick him up. It's like I said, it's it's doing that whole thing of no, just you adding won't. talent. You won't I, pick I him up. You're, you're not gonna well, pick him. Like, the he's, way coming you said the best game, he's coming off the best game of the season, like the last time we played back in week nine, but he only had 68 yards. So like right. the best right. Allen Robinson that we're seeing is a middling bench guy. Like he gets yeah. Andy Dalton right now as his starting quarterback, but it's there's not a lot of upside until we finally see some. So, like, as a guy you're just throwing on your bench, hey, just in case he plays well or something happens maybe to a Darnell Mooney, please don't. Um, but, I mean, it's you can add him, but it's, you don't have any ex, any expectations. Like, coming into last week, he was a wide receiver in 90. Like, and it's just unfathomable to me yeah. because coming into this year, I called him like he is the most underrated elite wide receiver in the NFL. He had succeeded with Blake Bortles. He had succeeded with Mitch Trubisky. You name the quarterback he made. He was a he was essentially a QB proof wide receiver. Right. Apparently not. I guess he's not a Matt Nagy proof wide receiver. Um. So like I said, hopefully he finds a different destination next year. But as far as right now goes, if you have that extra uh, roster spot, or if you're not using that to kind of get your defense ready for the next week or your quarterback ready for the next week, if you're streaming those positions, then yeah, Allen Robinson as a little bench filler, go for it because he we know he has the talent. It's just got to come out at some point. Uh, the Chiefs years ago had a, uh, a in his prime Dwayne Bow, and then Bow. Oh, there's is, a name for you. Yeah, his I whole love Dwayne Bow more yeah. than I should have. And then it just at like 27, 28 years old, it just uh, fell apart. Uh, and it, you know, I, I haven't gone through to figure out uh, uh, what exactly happened. I know he got hurt one of those seasons, but there there are guys who they reach a certain point, whether it's injuries or whether it's uh, you know. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I'll remember it in a second. But basically, oh yeah, Kelvin Benjamin, another good example. Uh, nah, I've got the example for you. It's 20, uh, 2015 Larry Fitzgerald coming off those three disastrous years in Arizona after Kurt Warner left, before they got Carson Palmer, where Fitz, in 2014, Fitz had 63 catches, 784 yards. Then 2015, all of a sudden, 109 for 12-15 and 9 because he got a quarterback. That could happen with Allen Robinson next year. But if you saw Fitz in 2014, it, it never happened because it, the situation wasn't there. It, it never got better. So I'm, I'm worried that Robinson is that 2014 Larry Fitzgerald. Yes. Could be great in, 20, in, in uh, the 2015 version in 2022. But for this year, not optimistic. I love it. It's a great – I remember that 2015 draft, and I remember laughing to myself when someone drafted Larry Fitzgerald because I just thought, no, he's done. He's cooked. Yeah, he's and done. I, he's, he's 32. He's done. I was, and uh, and there's no way Pro Football Network would have hired me if they if I told them that. Um, 
Uh, going to Cats, sticking with Chicago, uh, two more players, folks. Uh, going to tight end, Cole Komet. Uh, he was actually one of my two favorite bargain tight ends this preseason. Uh, I really liked him as a top, I think it was 14 tight end. His preseason ranking was something like 22. Uh, sadly, he's around the 20th or 21st best tight end right now in fantasy, so I am not right. But I still have hope. So my question for you, Cats, is can you share in my hope? Is he someone who, if you don't have a top eight tight end, uh, do you go with Komet as a potential streamer uh, in the right situation? Or uh, is this someone you just keep on waivers and don't even bother? I mean, you talk about Komet and being the 21st best tight end, but what's really separating any of these low-end tight end, like fringe tight end ones, tight end twos? I mean, Komet's been, yeah, nothing. I mean, Tommy sent us a screenshot in our our, uh, Slack channel earlier this week of the top five tight ends this week, and it was just, of just a random assortment of names. And that's kind of what the position has been this year outside of Travis Kelsey, really. Komet's uh, been inconsistent and unreliable, which pretty much describes every tight end. The one thing I do like about Komet is where most tight ends are touchdown or bust. Komet has proven to produce without scoring a touchdown. He reached right. double-digit fantasy points in two of his last three games. He hasn't scored a touchdown all season. The problem is fantasy managers are often better off chasing the touchdown with a guy like Tyler Conklin uh, or uh, that's, First name off the top of my head, uh, but commit to yeah, have one. Tyler and the Conklin. problem, of course, go ahead. No, I love Tyler Conklin. He's a great example because it's like uh, Tyler Conklin is a is a similar tight end in a better offense with a better quarterback. So he's just doing a little bit more, and that separates him. He's getting about two points more per game than Komet, but that's the difference these days between starting someone as a streamer and not. I mean, Conklin's right. a tight end eight since week six. I mean, you say the same thing. Look, Pat Fryermuth, he's a tight end four since week six with five touchdowns. If you're going to chase that tight end up, that tight end, that uh, touchdown upside at tight end, like you can find names that are out there. Yeah. Right. So the argument is why would you not chase the, the touchdown upside when the the floor on Komet is just as low as the other guys that aren't getting the targets? We've seen Komet post uh, six games this season with fewer than four fantasy points. Yeah. And if he doesn't have the touchdown upside, but he has the same floor based on the other guys, so what if he can produce without a touchdown? I'd rather just chase the touchdown because that's just one catch in the end zone as opposed to someone like Komet who would need the right game script and just to happen to get those eight to ten targets. That's I love your analysis because uh, it's it's uh, it is completely on point. It is when in doubt, pick the tight end who has a better chance to score unless you have a locked in TE one that you're not really worried about. If the targets aren't there, you gotta you gotta find someone in the right situation, the right game script to score. Last um, week, 16 of the top 17 tight ends in fantasy scoring had a touchdown. The only one that didn't was Cole Komet and took 11 targets to get there. Find wow. a touchdown upside. <laughs> exactly. Um, this is a, a slight segue. We'll get back to the final player name that I know everyone's waiting to hear. Uh, what you just said, Tommy, is very similar to research I did on uh, defenses, DSTs, but defenses, um, that uh, most of the top defenses score more defensive touchdowns or special teams touchdowns. Patriots, but those defensive touchdowns tend to uh, not artificially because it's earned, but you can't predict defensive touchdowns. And so you get these defenses that finish fifth and it's like, wow, I never expected that. But then you look and they've got four defensive touchdowns. And if not for that, they would have been 20th. So it's, it's fascinating to see how sometimes these things just hinge on things that no one can truly predict. We just have to accept the fact that we can't predict everything. Um, Final one, Foster Moreau. Tommy, this one is near and dear to me. In the in the summer of 2019, uh, when I had a blog, I shared with readers, you know, Foster Moreau, one of my favorite 
uh, bargain tight ends and drafts. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about this 26 year old uh, Darren Waller guy uh, who hasn't done anything in his career. I think he had like 20 catches in three seasons, four seasons. Was that uh, the season they were on Hard Knocks as well? Uh, it might have been. I'm uh, I'm I'm about uh, uh, infinity seasons behind on that. But uh, <laughs> I I I it took me uh, a couple weeks to realize that I had to apologize to everyone in my community for completely missing that. Uh, but I still have a soft spot for Foster Moreau because I think he's one of the better tight ends who doesn't play in the league. Yeah. And so my question for you is, if Waller's out for a while, uh, do people jump on Foster Moreau as a potential TE1? I think he's got that. I mean, we talk about this every week, that low-end tight end one upside. Because uh, the thing is, like, the the role he's filling in is massive. Great. I am not sitting here trying to say he is Darren Waller. We all know that. But in terms of the role Darren Waller took up on his team, he's arguably as valuable as any tight end in the NFL outside of Travis Kelsey. Uh, in terms of the targets, he has the number one target share for a tight end so far this season that for their team at 24.1%. And he is number two in air yards for the position at 26.5, only behind Kyle Pitts, who's just a glorified wide receiver who's you know, a unicorn. Uh, last week, he saw a little bit of work, but if we go back to week six when he filled in for when Darren Waller was out. You know, I'm sorry, week seven. He has six or seven for 60 yards and a touchdown. So we know the role is there and we know he can produce. Um, the the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, they need work in terms of the pass of their receivers. We know they've had a, a couple inch, a couple things happen so far this year that have kind of taken some guys off their roster. You have Hunter Renfer who can move the change. You've got these rare deep shots, you know, to Deshaun Jackson over vertical. You can get these every once in a while looks in the red zone to Brian Edwards. But I mean, Foster Moreau, in terms of a guy who can kind of get some volume, move the chains, be a little bit of a red zone target, and make some sense. If you need that little tight end streamer, I could see Foster Moreau being a guy moving forward. Fantastic. I agree completely. And not just because I want to go back two years later and say, see, you were just see, two years early. Right. About, about 2,500 Darren Waller receiving yards uh, too late. Um, Tommy Garrett, Jason Katz, thank you for joining uh, and being part of this with me as always. Again, I'm DJ Riddell, Pro Football Network. You can find us at profootballnetwork.com, Twitter, everywhere else. Reach out to us if you have any sit-start questions, waiver questions. We're always here for you. And we'll see